Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, once more up to the brink. With a new debt ceiling hike appearing set for final passage, we decided to take a look at the state of the U.S. economy, inflation, and the future budget outlook. As we're recording this, the debt deal struck between House Republican leaders and the White House has been approved in the House and is headed to the Senate ahead of what would have been a June 5th default absent a deal. So how will this new deal affect the economy, the deficit, and inflation? And what remains to be done to put the U.S. on a solid financial footing? Here to talk more about this is tax analyst, chief economist, and contributing editor Martin Sullivan. Marty, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right. So when we last spoke, we were talking all about inflation and how that was the, the big story. So so where have things gone from there? Yeah, at the time, as you know, President Biden said inflation was the nation's number one problem. And it probably is our number one economic problem right now. Of course, inflation has receded considerably since its peak about a year ago. But there's always a but. I am personally concerned about continued inflationary pressure for three reasons. The first reason is we still have a labor shortage, which means that wages are going to remain high and wages are a major force behind inflation. The second reason I am concerned is that consumer demand is high. And the reason consumer demand is high is the government gave out so much money during the pandemic that there is still about a trillion and a half dollars of excess savings in the economy, which means that's excess buying power. So there's not enough laborers, workers, there's too much demand. So there's not enough supply, there's not enough demand, and that means prices should remain high. And then on top of that, the longer inflation lingers, uh, we get into sort of an inflationary spiral. So even though if you turn on the radio and listen to the news broadcast, you'll hear opinions. Inflation's going up, inflation's going down. Um, I would be on the side of inflation will remain strong, not as strong as it was uh, for quite a while. And also the big wild card, of course, always is energy prices. And um, I cannot predict those. Of course. So you alluded to the the, the stimulus payments that went out. Now that policy uh, has subsided. There haven't been any additional stimulus payments. And the Fed has been raising interest rates aggressively. Is that enough to bring down inflation or are we going to continue to see you know, additional interest rates hikes or are there other mechanisms that need to be brought to bear? Okay. You asked four questions there and I'm going to try to answer them. The stimulus may have stopped, but if I gave you a million dollars yesterday, I would still think that you are uh, have a lot of fiscal stimulus uh, in your spending portfolio. So even though the, the stimulus has stopped, we're still running very large deficits, and there still is that extra savings I was just talking about. The Fed's actions do uh, reduce demand, but I don't think they reduce it by as much as people think it does. So I think government policies are still uh, stimulative. Will the Fed raise interest rates more? I believe they will, even though 60% of the commentators say they will stop. And then on top of that, yeah, there's other things we can do because uh, there's two ways to reduce inflation. One is to tighten monetary policy, which the Fed is doing. 
The other is to tighten fiscal policy, which is something we are starting to do maybe with this bill, uh, the debt limit bill, but we're not doing it nearly enough. We have to keep in mind that tax cuts increase inflation and deficits increase inflation. And if we don't do something about deficit reduction, inflationary pressures will continue. One of the reasons that we're in a lot of deficit spending was the pandemic and all these reactions to attempt to bring the economy back out of the pandemic. Have we succeeded in doing that part of the job the government was trying to do? Yes. A really good way of thinking about the economy is, is it's, it's two parts. One, there was what was going on before the pandemic. And there we had a long-term trend towards an aging society, which means larger deficits because of increased spending on Social Security and Medicare, and reduced economic growth because of a smaller workforce. So that was the trend before the pandemic. And then, of course, the pandemic hit like a nuclear explosion on the economy. And then to countering that was an incredible amount of government stimulus. So we're pretty much over the pandemic from an economic point of view, except for inflation, which is a big <laughs> exception, a big asterisk. But we're also still on that long-term trend of slower economic growth because of the aging population. And we're also on a long-term trend of unprecedented long-term high deficits because of the aging of our society. Is that uh, kind of a, a double whammy there here? Because you're mentioning earlier that we have a difficulty with labor force participation and putting pressure on wages. At the same time, we have a larger retired population. Is that its own spiral? Well, the trend, we knew the baby boomers were eventually going to retire. We knew that we know the birth rate's going down. Demography is actually something social scientists can actually estimate pretty well. So we knew this 25 years ago, this was going to happen. What we didn't know was going to happen was we we're going to have the great financial crisis of 2008, which exploded the deficit, and then the pandemic exploded it again. So now we have unprecedentedly high debt levels, which wasn't so bad two or three years ago when interest rates were rock bottom. But now we have a double whammy of higher debts with higher interest rates. So the squeeze on the U.S. Congress that is trying to balance the budget or reduce the deficit when the amount of interest payments that are going to go into the debt in the next 10 years is going to triple, triple. It's going to really put a squeeze on everything that we've done. And let me stress that these trends... You know, we've always been complaining, you know, for my entire career, we've been worrying about the debt and the deficit. But the trend right now is really scary. And there doesn't seem to be any easy way out. And on top of that, you have a political situation where gridlock is uh, common. So it's really, um, I'm sorry to say, not a, a good forecast for where we're headed with the debt. And then long-term growth is probably not going to be high. Now, turning to the question of this large long-term debt issue, we, we've been watching as the White House and Congress have been uh, negotiating to raise the debt limit. Now, before we get into the specifics of, of what seems to have been agreed to, with this debt limit, what's your sense of what would happen if we didn't get to an agreement and if we didn't pass an increase to it before hitting the date where Treasury says we'll run out of money? Well, the... 
conventional wisdom and then is it would be catastrophic. You don't want to go there. You don't want to find out. So um, the U.S. government treasury securities, it's the backbone of the world's financial system. You just don't want to mess with that. You don't want to mess with that because it could upset financial markets around the world. And also, it's very detrimental to the U.S. itself because we'll obviously raise our interest costs. Let's just assume, which I think is a good assumption, that we do pass this debt limit or do extend it and uh, raise the debt limit. I'm more concerned about the effects that occur even if we do not default on our debt. In 2011, we had a similar episode, and we ran up to the wire, and we got to the finish line, and they raised the debt limit, and everybody sighed a, a breath of relief. But two weeks later, after the debt limit was raised, our credit rating was reduced, and our interest costs went up, and the markets freaked out a little bit. Now, even if we do extend the debt limit, I think there's permanent damage to our economy by just playing this game. And there's damage right now to the economy because short-term interest rates for bills that mature over the next few weeks are sky high because there's a risk of default. And you don't want to be caught. It's like musical chairs. You don't want to be caught with those bonds, with those bills when the music stops. So I think there's a lot. Of, I don't think it's this all or nothing. I think there's a problem if we, as the closer we get and uh, the more we play this game of chicken, people start looking and go, hey, maybe they'll get it this time, but what's going to happen next time? This is not a AAA bond situation, and uh, we don't want our credit rating to go down. And 2011 is evidence of this. We've we've done this before. Is this something where the, the debt limit has kind of, you know, past its usefulness and it's something that we should just get rid of entirely? Yes. Just it's the stupidest thing in the world. It should be gotten rid of. Okay. No other country has it. And um, it just creates an artificial crisis of, you know, we don't need more crises of our own making. <laughs> well, you didn't mince words on that. So let's then turn to what appears to be the solution, at least for the next period of time, to the debt limit. Could you tell me about the this this plan that seems to have emerged? Well, uh, it's just, just in its broad brushstrokes, but I, I can tell you, compared to what the House passed a couple of months ago, the Republican House, their deficit reduction bill, this bill is about one-third, has about one-third the amount of deficit reduction. Politically, whether that's good or bad, you're going to hear about that all day. I think the important thing to point out here is that even with this you know, words like, oh, the greatest deficit reduction bill of all time, you're going to hear in press releases, or um, what the speaker calls it, transformational. Well, uh, it may be all of those things, and there may be X billion or trillion dollars of deficit reduction. But folks, even with this tremendous amount of deficit reduction, our debt and deficits will continue to grow. They're growing every year despite this bill. The reduction is relative to a baseline you know, that should be put in every time they say there's a reduction relative to a baseline. There is no absolute reduction in dollars. There is no absolute reduction in, in, in debt to GDP. So if you're going to look at the projections before and after this bill of what's going to happen to our debt, you can hardly notice the difference because the overwhelming trend is the deficit is going up, up, up. And after this bill, 
it's going up, up, up at a lower rate, but it's still going up again to unprecedented, scary levels, even with this bill. Do you expect any reaction from the economy from the at least the, the minimal cuts in spending? Yes, I do. I think when uh, people get over this distraction of passing the debt limit, which is just doing what you're supposed to do, and start looking at the substance of what's going on in our fiscal situation, you will see that we're still going into a horrible area. And there is no easy way out unless you want to consider tax increases, oh my gosh, or reducing Social Security and Medicare. If you can't do that, you're not going to have any success. Then you go, well, maybe these economists are wrong. Maybe uh, interest rates will come down or we're going to have a big boom. And I've played out scenarios like that in the simulation models. And even with some favorable econo unexpected economic outcomes, we're still heading in a, into a very bad area on the deficit. The flip side is things could get worse than expected. We could have higher interest rates and lower economic growth than expected. And I don't even want to think about how uh, bad that would be uh, for the uh, federal federal finances. Can I say anything else to cheer you up? I mean, I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's go down the, the 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 terror rabbit hole just one little bit further. Is there like some inflection point where you get beyond basically like a point of no return? Is there some debt to GDP level where it's like this is no longer possible to sustain? Well, Dave, I think um, you know people have focused on the debt to GDP level, and it's it's very widely used, and it is a very useful metric. But it is only a metric; it is only one metric of fiscal um, fiscal fiscal soundness. I think where it's going to really hit Congress between the eyeballs is not on the debt to GDP ratio, but on the interest costs that they're going to have to pay. And think about it this way: Let's say you're a guy and you're going to buy a car. And all you really care about, you don't care about the price of the car, you care about the monthly payments because every month you've got to deal with that. Your car could be a $100,000 car, but if the payments are low, you're cool. And if they change the price to 120000 you may not even notice as long as you can make the payments. Now what's going to happen is Congress could go, oh, our debt to GDP ratio is so high, I'm so worried. But they really don't have to deal with that. What they have to deal with every year are the interest payments on that debt. We have been spoiled to death the last two decades with low interest rates. Now that interest rates have gone back up, oh my gosh, it is really going to hit them very hard. So I think that is the point. That is the pressure point that's going to get people to take notice that we really have to do something about this, even though there's absolutely no prospect of that happening in this current political environment where uh, there's a split, uh, there's a split on Capitol Hill. I know you mentioned that uh, there would need to be perhaps changes to Social Security and Medicare, but from the tax side, is there anything that is low-hanging fruit, anything that they, they can do that would start to move things in the right direction? Well, the, uh, okay, the, uh, for the Republicans, the low-hanging fruit was to get rid of all the energy credits. 500, I can't remember now, about 500, you know, an enormous amount. Uh, they tried to do that in this bill because that's President Biden's signature uh, legislation, and he insisted that that remain. 
Another piece of low-hanging fruit is to increase funding to the IRS because every, for every dollar you spend on that, you get $4 back. But again, the Republicans insist we can't do that. So those to me seem like possibilities. Of, you know, uh, I'm not endorsing any one of them in any way. But uh, you know, then you have things like a carbon tax, which would make enormous sense. Instead of doing energy credits, which cost the government money, you could do a carbon tax, which raises money for the government and have largely the same effect. But that is absolutely out of consideration. And then every, uh, every uh, conference I go to, somebody asks me, well, what about a value-added tax? And they go, you know, I said, next question, because it's just, it makes a lot of sense. Every other country in the world has it. It's a decent way of raising revenue, but it is absolutely off the table. Republicans just object to any tax increase, especially such a broad-based tax increase. And then uh, the Democrats always resist evaluated tax because they perceive it as um, regressive, as unduly burdensome on low incomes. So when this inflection point happens, when we must confront this, when the Congress <laughs> must confront this, what do you see breaking? What what of these, you know, third rails get touched? Well, I think what would have to happen, it have to be bipartisan, because even if you had a trifecta with all Demo with Democrats in the House, the Senate and the White House or vice for you know, Republicans, House, Senate and White House. OK, you may enact everything that you want to enact. So if that was a Democratic trifecta, we'd have tax increases and uh, loophole closing and an increased IRS funding. If Republicans came in, we'd be cutting spending left and right. But even if you did that at the next election, when you no longer have that majority, it's all going to go away. We need permanent long term deficit reduction and have permanence. It has to be bipartisan. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to do everything I want to do because I have power right now. Because the next minute they're going to pull the, pull the plug out. So um, it would be something like, and people make fun of this, the old Simpson-Bowles Commission, where you have somebody get together, propose tax increases that Republicans hate. They propose spending cuts that Democrats hate. And you go, okay, well, we have to suck it up, guys. We're, gonna, we're just going to have to do this because things have gotten so bad. Now, that was after the Great Recession. When the debt to GDP ratio went from 35 to 70 percent, and everybody said, "Oh my God, we have to do something." Now that it's at 103 percent, nobody is saying anything about. I mean, nobody is really concentrating on this. So maybe we need another jolt, maybe another pandemic, maybe a real war, or maybe another financial crisis to really shake people up and go, "We absolutely have to do something." But can you imagine anything that would get Republicans to agree to tax increases or get Democrats to agree to massive spending cuts right now? It's just got to be something that shakes up the political system to its core. Well, all right. On that note of optimism. <laughs> uh, I'm really enjoying the NBA playoffs. There's a lot of great games. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of good stuff going on. All right. Bread and circuses. Yes. Bread and circuses. <laughs> All right. Well, Marty, thank you so much for being here. This has been fascinating. Thank you. And now, coming attractions. Each week, we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief, Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? 
Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Hale Shepard explores the IRS's challenges to specific charitable remainder annuity trust transactions. He explains some remaining options for taxpayers. Four Blue Jay legal practitioners consider the benefits, concerns, and areas of improvement when using advanced AI chatbots for complex tax law questions. In Tax Notes State, Rick Najjar and Ted Contopoulos discuss the potential pitfalls and opportunities for tax planning in California. Billy Hamilton examines three of the most recent tax policy feuds and how they're shaping up. In Tax Notes International, Ryan Finley engages ChatGPT in transfer pricing conversations. Four KPMG practitioners explain how Brazil's proposed changes to its transfer pricing regime will affect intercompany financial transactions. And finally, in Featured Analysis, Carrie Brandon Elliott reviews the comments questioning the tax book value method for characterizing remittance income and suggesting alternatives. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at Tax Notes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.